0: Hello and welcome back to Aravis Presents, a podcast where we aim to speak to figures within the asset management world about the markets, what moves them, and where they might be headed next. My name is Hugo Rogers, Associate Director at Aravis Capital. If you enjoy our podcast, please do subscribe, tell a friend, or leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Jim Robillard, CIO and founder of Spyglass Capital a San Francisco-based boutique equity firm focused on investing in rapidly growing small and mid-cap companies within US markets. On today's episode, we jump down the AI rabbit hole, covering how we move from sci-fi gimmick to reality, and the implications of that shift on markets and the wider investment process. Jim Rob Lard, fantastic to, to speak to you. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the show.
1: Well, thanks for having me it's uh it's fun to be here and uh the topic that i'm very excited to discuss uh spend a lot of time thinking about it a lot of
0: time uh, reading about it and, and uh consuming information excellent so it's obviously a massive topic and i think before we dive into the many ways we think ai is kind of shifting the access within investing and possibly society and work as we know it it's probably important to to zoom out a bit and, and see how we got here now, when you think of the the wider public perception of AI, it feels like we've jumped from it being seen as a kind of gimmick in sci-fi films, all the way to people using this every day now in these chatbots and things like GBT. How did we get from point A to point B in brief? Because I I understand it's a it's a very very broad question. Sure. No, it's a it's a hard one to answer concisely,
1: but I'll try. I, I think what's really interesting here is this ongoing theme that. Science fiction predicts the future really accurately over time, and, and the question is: well, is that is that good prediction, or does the do smart engineers from around the world who are drawn to this content end up developing the solutions that are theorized by earlier um, artists? And and I think it's an interesting question to, to go down. But the the reality is, the, the way we got here is is that. It was just a technological enablement of really the last I mean fifty or sixty years, but specifically the last 20, we we had a bunch of things come together simultaneously in the market uh, in the economy that, that allowed AI to become possible. and, and they' they're disparate resources, but they're important to understand in in sequence. Um, the, the first was just the development of the internet to be able to connect people and computers to one another globally that that was an enormously important initial event there's lots of things that went into building the internet but i'm going to start there The, the next was was the this idea of cloud computing and cloud storage if you didn't have cloud computing or cloud storage there's no way you could have ai today it would just be impossible so the limiting factor was cost for for a long time and thanks to aws and azure there have been uh, among others there have been major breakthroughs on on the cost uh not only to compute but to store information and in the and remember that think of ai generalized ai as effectively the largest brain ever built by you know, in, in the history of man and it's a it's it's hard because it's a it's not a carbon-based organism it's a it's a silicon-based organism but realize that we are just building a collective brain um and then, uh, unique abilities to access that brain through these more narrow AIs, but that storage is essential. So you have you have the internet, you have cloud computing, you have cloud storage, and then the really seminal event in all of this that there was the it was the catalyst to go from one paradigm to the next was what's called accelerated computing, and this is most closely linked with Jensen Wong at at Nvidia. Um, yeah you know, this was Nvidia was one of the primary reasons why uh i, I started spyglass i I saw what they were doing in the mid two thousand tens two thousand you know thirteen fourteen fifteen looked at what the vision was, how they were taking this idea and moving it forward and i realized i did, i didn't realize how big it would be I thought it would be enormous this is exceeded my expectations by a wide margin just to be clear but this ability to bend what was Forever thought to be a constant of Moore's law and was actually running into some structural problems Moore's law is the ability for computing power to double roughly every two years ad infinitum Um, that was coming to an end with just the physics of making chips at the size they were they were engineering the chips to Um, Jensen had an incredible idea and he thought they could accelerate traditional computing using GPUs graphical processing uh, units Um, and they fundamentally change computing as we know it. And so if you marry the internet with cloud computing, cloud storage, and accelerated computing, you unlock this vast potential um, uh, of what we now think of as as AI, both narrow and then where we're going, which I hope we'll con- you kind know, of talk about during the course of this conversation.
0: And most people's experience of, of AI as we know it today has been through the explosion in these chatbots, like Chat the technical term for these are llm's large language models which are a subset of, of generative ai could you give a bit a bit of context around llm's generative ai and why these are now possible and usable on, on such a large scale
1: sure so, so it's it's very interesting when you think about how this evolved there if you go back and read there's there's uh, there's markov models and there's uh there's RNNs, which are recurrent neural networks, and then there were um, and there were um, transformers, which is what a chat GPT, the T stands for transformer. This is really a function, again, of the GPU. So um, I, I always struggle with how to describe this to, to someone who may not be technical, um, but, I, but I think this is the best way to describe it. So if you don't understand what a GPU and a CPU are, I think this is worth understanding. Um, if if a if a CPU were to, if you were to, to give the CPU the task, read a book and it has to read War and Peace, it would start on page one and it would read all the way through till the last page. It could do this incredibly rapidly, much faster than a human could do it, obviously, but it would do it in a serial nature. It would read page one, page two, all the way until the last page. What a GPU can do, and the reason they're so enormously powerful, is the GPU figuratively. Would rip out every page in the book alive them all on the floor uh, and take a photocopy of the back of that page so you saw all one thousand pages however long worn pieces um, they were laid on the floor and it would take one snapshot in and, in and, and the and it would consume all of the pages in an in instant compared to trying to read each page individually and this is what this is what the acceleration is in, in the computing and so this is called parallel processing. So you can read two pages at once, or a thousand pages at once, or a billion pages at once. Which is why this is such a powerful uh, acceleration uh, to the way in which we can a system can consume and then synthesize information. So the, the transformer really is the upgrade from a recurrent neural network to a transformer. Is just is mostly that is is parallelism and the ability for the Transformer to also link um, some longer-dated nature of the of the underlying data uh, to each other and have, have more memory, um, which is a, a, a more complex topic. But I think that the idea of just the parallel nature of the computation is what's essential. It's what gives the system massive leverage. Um, and, and that's how we've gone from having the ability to um, to theorize about AI and now put it into into practice um, and this and what it allows you to do is is access much more vast uh amounts of information and put them together. And so specifically like Chat GPT, this is something that I think is misunderstood. It's not going out and reading the internet and then giving you an answer. That's what Google largely does. Google crawls the internet and then gives you a a, a suggestion of what hyperlink um it should use in Google.com, not to be confused with their barred um AI product. But if, in google.com, when you ask it a question, it gives you a recommendation of a link to click. ChatGPT is not crawling the internet. In fact, it is using what's called an LLM, a large language model. And that large language model, remarkably, after having been trained on vast amounts of data, most of the public internet and everything else you can imagine, um, it's consumed this. It actually, the the, the ChatGPT algorithm can forecast the next word in the sequence. And this is what is the mind-blowing part of artificial intelligence. It's just the same way that when we're speaking, as I'm speaking right now, we choose which word to use next in real time. It's the same thing that an LLM does. So it simply knows by the cadence and sequence of the words that's used so far, it probabilistically forecasts what word to use next, and it's generally right. Um, And this is why it's an incredible breakthrough. And it allows the perception of the system to be thinking. And that is the the fundamental difference. It's it's not a task rabbit that goes out and retrieves information for you from somewhere. It appears to be specifically acting like another sentient being, answering your question in real time in normal language and not pointing you to a resource for you to go extract that information from. Um, And that's the breakthrough
0: and And generative AI, obviously, chat is kind of a, a subset of that. There are lots of other things interesting things being done, especially kind of consumer facing in generative ai. any 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 thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, generative AI just means very simply that using a large language model, the output is is generated from the training data. And so remember, it's not answering your question because it goes out and finds the answer on the internet and then copies and pastes that into the answer section on chat GPT. Instead, when you ask that question, it is querying the database and then it is using the, gener, the generative element of the transformer to find the next word and th- they would answer that question. And it is, um, and that is the part of the generative part is what makes it feel like it's, it's thinking or it's sentient or it's somehow intelligent because the question is, how does it know what to say? And it's a fascinating idea. It's the same idea of asking, you know, a in a reasonably intelligent human being to answer a question that you don't know the answer to. And if ChatGPT is doing a good job, you would ask a reasonably intelligent person with some domain expertise to answer a question, and then if you ask the same question to ChatGPT, you should get something very similar. And what's amazing about that is that. ChatGPT GPT didn't know its answer until you asked it the question. And so it, it was in there the same way that just like a human isn't thinking about the answer to your question until it gets asked. But that is what is fundamentally different about this form of computing versus everything else we've done so far.
0: Let's talk about narrow AI, so ANI and general AI, so AGI. Firstly, a definition of de- definition of those and then secondly, how far off might we be from something that that resembles AGI? Do, do you think that's even in the realm of possibility at this stage?
1: Yeah, great question. So I think, I think first of all, A and I uh, we're all familiar with with some version of A with a Siri or Alexa as a good example. It's a it is a walled garden, of fenced amount, a, a, a specific amount of data that a system has access to, and if you ask a question that the that this narrow AI believes it can answer accurately, given its constraints, it will give you an answer and generally the right answer. Um, and that's a very valuable specific dynamic. So Watson at at, um, at IBM sort of famously was an early version of, a, of narrow AI. It was trained on data. And then if you train something on a data set, it's very good at recalling and, and even putting together, in some cases, pieces of that information. But it has no ability to go do something outside of that, uh, outside, outside of the, um, the the data that's been trained on. So if you ask, uh, you know, an example would be if you ask Alexa to order you something on another, so Alexa's Amazon's uh, personal assistant. If you ask it to order you something on another website, it won't do it because it doesn't know how to do that. But if you ask it to order you something on Amazon, it will. And and that's an example of of a narrow AI remarkable because it can it can hear your voice understand your voice translate that into a query that it can use and then give you output that is valuable um, AGI and again these are think of these as, as um, non defined spheres of, of definition it's, it's not specific so they're they're are gray areas and I don't want to it's not like they begin and end in one specific spot. AGI, uh, Sam Altman probably gave the best answer, which is that if you you have AGI, when you finally have a system that can perform a task, um, I'm paraphrasing, but perform a task that if you were to ask a person on the telephone or over a Teams call to do something for you on a computer, regardless of that request, but it was just a Digital request. You would need to, you need to do something. Go find something. Learn something. Write a report. Develop a drawing. Whatever. Any task that can be done on a computer, if the AI can do that, that's at, at the median level of intelligence, so that it knows how to interpret your words and then go get a reasonable answer and develop a reasonable product or r- result. That's what AGI is, and we're we're actually getting really close. Um, it, Demis Sabas, who is a who is the leader of DeepMind um, and a fascinating person who we'll talk about, I'm sure, over the course of this conversation. He was giving an interview just a month or so ago, I believe, where where he believes that um, that AGI is is in the next decade. Um, I think that's relatively consistent with even some forecasts from quite a few years ago interestingly right it was largely forecasted somewhere in the late part of the 2020s um if you were able to stick on Moore's law um we went through a period where Moore's law was actually breaking down and then accelerated computing came in and so we've now accelerated faster than Moore's law so I think it's it's probably coming and I think this is a really important element in understanding why AI itself is so powerful is in, uh, an AGI system, so an artificial, general, and generally intelligent system has a huge advantage over humans. Um, if it's properly constructed and stays plugged in uh, and there's you know no rolling blackout because uh, of a heat wave or something, but if it, it, it continues to get power and has sufficient access to storage um, and has the sufficient computing power, it, it is really limitless and it will continue to learn Acquire information, so ingest data, which will make it more and more competent over time. And so this is this goes back to an idea of why, why like the printing press was such a you know such a huge deal. Gutenberg you know, really got this one right, where oral was a huge liability for the human race because you had to pass information orally from one person to another, and that was that lasted basically one generation, and then you passed it on, and you had to let the child get old enough to be able to understand the words and be able to synthesize information that person would carry it on for a generation. And it was a really inefficient way to transfer information. And then when we were able to start writing things down and then distribute that that text globally, there was an explosion in learning across the planet. Think of this now as as the next order effect of exactly that same idea, but on a scale that we really aren't prepared to understand, which is that, this is a system that will never get old. It will never forget. It will not get Alzheimer's. It will, And it will live on forever and continuously get smarter and never have to pass the information on to the next system. And until you really spend some time staring at the ceiling, thinking about what that really means, I don't think you can understand the scale at which the system could improve. It's a we like to think at Spyglass and at the power of curved line math because compounding is this incredibly powerful force over time in terms of financials and demand um, for for product. But to stay on topic, this is exactly the same reason I'm drawn to to this to AI as a, as a domain is that this is the the ultimate compounding function where the the size and scope of the potential of the model is logarithmic in nature and expands at a rate that almost you know, pushes the limits of human understanding. And that's what's so interesting is that I'm going you know, I'll, to, I'll be happy to pass along this information. But there's a few um, articles and, and so forth that I think are really important to, to read. Um, so I'll pass those along to your audience. But um, I, I think that if you, if you think about where we're going if, if if this is our continuum and it's, com- and it's, and it's compounding I meaning it's getting actually steeper as you as you progress through time because compounding is some rate that's basically a function of how fast you can learn and the cost per unit of knowledge, both those things will compound there's an expectation that we're going that the the system itself the AGI assuming it's one global Network. I don't know there will be, but if you just start there, if least one company or one country has an AGI, as that AGI continues to get um, intelligent, remember there's, a, there's actually a third algor- um, acronym: ASI is artificial super intelligence, where you you actually have a system that knows everything there is to know that's ever been knowable, and. And then it can also forecast everything there is to potentially know, which is a really hard thing to understand. Um, and, and that's what artificial super intelligence is. But if we're, the path we're on suggests computationally that we'll, we will get to um, this the AGI, the, the capabilities of one human brain sometime later this decade. And then by roughly 2050 or 2060, so only 30 years in the future, um, we will surpass the cumulative brain power of every human that's ever lived. Just put that on your, just let that marinate for a second. But it's just, it's just a graph um, and following the, and it's a hard thing to, to try to conceptualize, but um, it's worth understanding that we are, we have let the genie out of the bottle. There is momentum here that we can never constrain and there are real reasons to continue to invest aggressively in this because what this technology will uh, make possible is, is going to be spectacular
0: i think that that leads into my next question and, and so much to unpack from that i think both equally fascinating and potentially terrifying but, but genie <laughs> yeah. G- G- in the bottle is what i would i would, I would latch on to there well genie has been let out of the bottle as you mentioned Mm-hmm. If we assume that the direction of travel here is that the use of AI is is only going to increase, and and that the, the kind of competency of that AI is only going to increase, the implications on society probably stretch far beyond our predictive ability. And with that said, you, how in the near term, how how would you think this maybe impacts people's working lives? Yeah,
1: well, a lot to unpack. I I think that the, the just. Why, you know, why would AI continue to advance is a really important question, because I think that's, you know, computers, PCs didn't get very much better that much faster that there were better operating systems every few years. And then we started doing things over the, you know, over the Internet and so forth. But the, the, the rate of change was actually relatively slow. Why is this so fundamentally different? And I want to go back to those reasons that connected by the cloud, infinite resources, and that it can't, that it won't forget. Uh, and, um and that makes it compound at a rate that actually accelerates at its at its core. Um, and it actually has, if it can, I, it's an important, I want to be careful about this word. It doesn't have a desire. It is programmed to try to do this as fast as it can, which a human would perceive that as the system wants to go faster. The system doesn't want to do anything yet. That's uh, a whole other topic. But I, I think that, it is very important to understand that um, technology is best when it removes friction. So that's the one, you know, take one thing away from this conversation, it's that that's what technology really does. The wheel helped people move things that were really heavy to carry and it was really inefficient. And so technology at its core is basically the removal of inefficiency and friction in any activity, I would argue. And th- th- this is a technology that is going to put the wheel to shame in that you could point this resource at the problem in, in a way that, you, that will just be hard to comprehend until you see it. And th- the best way to understand it is, for those of you who are parents on the call or um, all of us were once children, and it seemed like our parents, most parents, or an uncle maybe had superpowers. They they knew things that you just couldn't believe they knew. How do they know all of this information? How do they know how to wire uh, a light socket? How do they know how to do anything? Change you know change some element in something mechanical in the house or tie a fishing knot. Whatever it was, you didn't, like how like how do you know how to do that? Uh, AI will make everything that is knowable accessible to everyone. Uh, the internet was the first version of this. Google did a pretty good job at laying the groundwork for making most of this accessible. You know, Elon Musk has said you have an Oracle, you know, in your pocket that gives you basically you know access to all of the information in the world if you're willing to spend the time trying to find it. Um, but AI is going to bring that much closer, much faster, and at a much lower price. And so, the working lives of humans on this planet will, will change dramatically over the next. 10 or 20 years, and probably the next 10 will be, uh, the back half of the next 10, I think will be the period of most significant change. Um, At least in the the near term, I don't know if it will continue to accelerate, Um, but, but as we automate certain functions that are really designed for a human to solve somebody else's problem, those are going away. There's just, that's a really inefficient use of using a single person who has one brain and can solve a problem by accessing all of the other problems they've either previously solved or a database of problems that were solved by other people. And they have to ingest that information slowly by usually reading it. If they don't already know it, they've got to read it or they've got to cut and paste it and then send it to the person effectively. So think about how inefficient that is versus a a database that you could in real time from wherever you are, query, how do I solve this problem? And you don't get a list of options, you get a specific answer that solves whatever puzzle you are confounded by and with perfect accuracy. Not going to happen immediately, but that's where we're going. It's the same way that when I was describing this to somebody recently, is when you type in an internet address, you don't occasionally get a different website. You just get the website you expect. That's what's going to AI is going to make that happen with everything that is knowable. You're going to ask the question. And the AI is going to know, you know where you are, what language you're using, the syntax of how you're asking it, you know, how alarmed you are by the tone of your voice, and it will give you the information you need very specifically. And um, that will be technical in nature. It could be, it could be completely you know, uh, just for sport. Um, but that's where we're going. And, and I think that's, what, that's why this is, is incredibly interesting. And I, but it does beg a bunch of very serious questions about what does life look like? where we have achieved AGI. So five to 10 years from now, um, that is coming. I mean, I, I, I don't know that it's that timeframe, there's no way I can forecast that, but the idea that it's not coming, um, we've never gone backwards when it comes to technology. And so it, the idea that we are gonna somehow put the brakes on this um, or or want to um, is is, it will not happen, and you have to prepare for for that future. And you have to think really about the way the future will be different.
0: Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate slightly here. Uh, you strike me very much as someone who would fall into that kind of optimist camp around AI. I, uh, based on this conversation, our previous conversations on it, uh, you know, this will be a supplementary tool that will help increase productivity. I think you, you would view it very much as as additive to people's lives. There is, of course, plenty of argument on the other side of things, which is the potential for this to be weaponized by nation states. Um, which arguments do you think, outside of that, are the most terrifying? Perhaps the wrong word, but but compelling to to the downside that you would find interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's really important to understand that. You know, I've been giving it, I've been talking about AI since we founded the firm back in twenty fifteen, and. When I would give this one talk about what's next in technology, I the opening slide on the a- AI section is two side by side images. One is from the Terminator movies of this dystopian future, and the other is this unbelievable gleaming city and it's a utopian future. And the question is, which one do you think you're going to get? Um, I, I think I think we are. I think there's lots of reasons to believe that we will. Engineer a future that will be utopian um, I you know, we're, we're shades of gray on what utopia means for everyone, but I think that the dystopian outcome is is, is hopefully unlikely um, and certainly grim um, but I think that the the primary ways that AI could be used uh, in a nefarious way in the short term are, are really around cyber security and in and, and fact the ability to to mimic um so you know someone who you, you believe you're dealing with someone and you're not or that's generally going to happen in the digital domain but yeah, i i received actually an email yesterday from um it was clearly a phishing attack that, that looked incredibly um real and and arguably you know was not hard, hard to always know and it, it the only way to find out was to click through and find out so we, we didn't find out but that was the first clue but um I, I think that you know, we're seeing it across our security companies. At Spyglass, the cybersecurity companies are are seeing um, an incredible uh, increase in what we call threat vectors um, around bad actors using AI to try to either extort money or increase the the level of discomfort on their adversaries, which are generally speaking the the free world. Um, and so that's that's probably the the one that will be um most concerning. And then obviously to the extent we relinquish control to some system, um, and then if that system were to malfunction. And that, that that is, you know, that that's enough to keep you up at night. But I think that we will, if with you know, proper thoughtfulness and cooler heads prevailing, I think it's reasonable um and maybe assisted by AI, ironically, that we will be able to construct a framework that will um, regulate its ability to to do harm, um, and you know, at the end of the day, ironically, part of that is is just the ability to turn it off. Um, you know, if you're if if something if one of your electronics is acting badly and you can unplug it, it's a very effective uh, way to end the con- end, end the bad behavior. Um, but it is really important for us to have a kill switch um, on the AI, and that that is something that you know is a topic of not only science fiction movies but anyone who is scholarly on the on the topic will will openly discuss that idea and we and we, we have to design one in and um that's complicated um, for, for lots of reasons because if you turn it off and, and enough people are relying on it um that has consequences so no easy answers and that's why that's why this is such an amazing moment in time we are literally standing at the at the at the doorway of an entirely new era in life on the planet and you know it feels like 1998 to me with with the internet or yeah you know, that's the one that I know best you know it was, life was just fundamentally different a couple of years later for everyone that had access to the internet it was just fundamentally different and I, I think this is potentially an even bigger change in the way we live our lives um, and and I, I do think it will largely be positive I mean, the, the Tremendous economic incentives for people to figure out how to make money um, and improve people's lives. And, and we have people part with their precious currency uh, to consume products and services that that make their lives better. And um, there's going to be an enormous boom in innovation. And um, I think people are going to have a lot more time to do other things than than work.
0: Let's move on and talk markets and investing impact from AI. I want to separate out the 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 impact on investing as a practice, and the impact it might have on the wider market and listed companies. And we'll start on the market side of things. Sure. It's fair to say we've already been feeling the impact of, of of AI or certainly its influence on the markets this year. The Nasdaq had the best first half of the year in over thirty years. Nvidia, the magnificent seven, really riding riding that wave two questions linked to this. Do you think this, this rally, this AI rally we've seen, is that sustainable or, or even justified? And secondly, you focus further down market cap. So those those stocks I mentioned wouldn't be in your, in your investable universe, but what's happening further down the market cap scale with regards to AI? Sure. Well, there's a
1: few questions in there. I, I think that is it sustainable is a really interesting question. What what strikes me as being fundamentally different about this technological revolution, it's not just an evolution, it really is a revolution with, with accelerated computing brought on largely by NVIDIA. Um, Jensen Wong, I, I think it was in 2017, I believe, and I, I, I'm not sure if it was the first time he said it, but it's the first time I remember he, hearing him say it, was he would get up on stage, he's the CEO and founder of NVIDIA, and and he would, a little bit tongue in cheek, but quite seriously, say, "I want you to repeat after me." The more you spend, the more you save. And we we have to we have to just go back to the beginning of this conversation. The reason AI will be such a pervasive force is for business in particular. For business alone, think about this for a moment. Is that imagine imagine being able to hire the the key person that would be able to help you accelerate the revenue growth of your company? If you were just to spend a certain amount of money on a certain solution and train an algorithm and look at your data and have it help you make more money. And what if you could do that for much less than hiring the actual number of people that you would need to do that? By in human terms, in terms of all of the consequential costs of hiring a team that would have that level of intelligence and capability, and then they'll never leave, very positive. But you'll have, so you'll have revenue growth that's above what your expectations were and may be able to continue to accelerate for long periods of time. Simultaneous, the same system, or at least an adjacent system, could wring costs out of the business. So remember I talked about how technology removes inefficiency. That's what technology does best. That's really important. So inefficiency on the sales process is a, a lead that does not convert into dollars. An AI system will spend almost no time chasing down leads that won't convert. That's efficiency. It will identify all of the ones that, that might convert. And because it, only has, it will only focus on those and spend no time on the ones that won't convert, that will lead to accelerating revenue growth you will do the exact opposite on the expense side and, and take expenses out of the business until they asymptote to some theoretical minimum level of, of expense. But I can tell you, in every business we look at, there's always expenses that can come out. But AI will help bring those out. So you have two things that are going to happen. And this is why we think this could be sustainable and why it will be such a catalytic driver of market performance and certainly just economic performance. I'm a terrible market forecaster. Um Broad market. I, I think that I'm, you know, but I can see a path for companies to generate more revenue in the future than people are m- imagining, and doing it more efficiently, higher margins, therefore higher profits um, than people were expecting that the market is currently projecting. And that is why, if you're looking out at the market over like five or ten years, like 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 Spyglass does, this feels like. A once-in-a-generation opportunity because it's not a mystery as far as what the technology is going to try to do, and we don't we we and we don't have to guess about whether it will be able to do these tasks or not. We 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 have all of that information, and and that's really important to underwrite. So, which businesses will capitalize most? Uh, which businesses will be you know massively disrupted by either a, an inc- an yeah, um, insurgent of some kind that comes into its into its business as a result of its own um incredible uh technological um capabilities it, you know, those are going to be those are why hopefully will still be needed for some period of time but i think you can be quite optimistic about global economic output um and uh, global economic efficiency
0: and i recently saw Chamath Palihapitiya, the venture capitalist, he was discussing Mm -hmm. which types of companies he believes will be the the winners in this space. And his argument is that that we will probably see a barbell effect. So at one end, you'll have the mega cap tech players, your Googles, your your Metas, your NVIDIAs, uh, your Microsofts, uh, who will be large winners there. And at the other end of the barbell will be much smaller companies that are the data providers and are effectively startups and are more agile with everything in the middle layer potentially being cannibalized or certainly acquired. Do you agree with that view?
1: Uh, well, I, I think, uh, as it's described there, I think it's probably a slight oversimplification, but I, I, I think there's some logic that is obvious. Um, I, I I do believe that the because the current large cap businesses in the world, the Magnificent Seven, as you described them, um, are currently mostly operating in environments that will that are highly likely to be able to capitalize on this technology. They, they, they are likely to do well. I don't know how well. I, you know, I don't want to get into a discussion about the stocks. I'm talking about the companies. Uh, I think the companies are well positioned to extend their lead, and they have, in, in every case, very significant resources to invest in this technology and become expert at deploying it and using it for their benefit um so i i i mean i believe that the companies will do well and i'll i'll leave it there um I, I do think that with every technological revolution there are companies that didn't exist to become major players 10 and 20 years later i i suspect that's the case here nvidia's been around 30 years but it became a, a large gap business less than 10 years ago, and then crossed a trillion dollars in market cap um, incredibly rapidly over uh, the last few years. Um, and I think that's very important to understand that. That's an example of it was just one of a thousand um, semiconductor companies in the world, uh, microprocessor companies in the world that um, was out there and it, it achieved escape velocity and, and became one of the giants. I think that AI will enable businesses to capitalize on opportunities that are, that are really hard to imagine. But, uh, Chamath has also been public uh, talking specifically about this very interesting idea around the VC model in the future. Uh, because you can do so much with so few people and you can leverage the technology, very small businesses from a headcount perspective and maybe from an overall budget perspective can be very formidable Competitors, at least from a knowledge perspective, Um, and and that is that's something that is different this time than any other previous era. Um, You know, it would be you know it would be akin to just using an obvious example. But if if you could hire, how many people would it take to move a bunch of rocks from one pile to another if they didn't have a a cart? The 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 firm with the, the the cart with wheels would dramatically outperform even a very large army of of strong people that were, you know, walking the rocks across the road. Um, and that, that's what you're seeing at a scale that is almost impossible to imagine. And, and imagine that the cart gets faster and faster and more capable and quite frankly, bigger every year um, without adding people. Um, and so it, that's, that's why this is such an amazing period. It's why I'm optimistic as a, u.s smaller cap investor there's going to be companies that come out of uh really out of the ether that will develop amazing products that solve huge problems and the the market will recognize that and and there's this is a period of maximum disruption across every industry and and that is the takeaway is that understand that ai will permeate every single industry it is like it is the same way the internet people were dismissive of the internet in the late nineties, that it would ever be a very big deal. They're like, why would, you know, I don't need it. As I, I told a friend in 1998, I was showing an early version of um, a search engine and I was showing how I could pull up an apple pie recipe. And my friend was like, well, I already have an apple pie recipe. She's like, why would I ever, I don't need the internet. And And I was trying to, I was like, well, I was like, yeah, I guess I didn't make my point very clearly, and sometimes it's, it's obvious to to some and obvious to others. But I, I I run into a fair amount of pushback that AI seems theoretical and feels far away, and it may not have a big impact. I, I just think that if you look at the core components of of what the technology is, how it works, what it does, what it how it improves recursively, generally speaking, over time. Um, this is something to really fundamentally spend some time thinking about um, and, and then think about what the impacts will be for your business and how your businesses or if you're an investor, how, the, you know, how those businesses are going to be affected by the evolution of the technology.
0: And the impact on how the market functions as a whole, a lot of the discourse mm-hmm. there has been centered around the idea that the introduction of AI will add more efficiency to capital markets in theory, this would be detrimental to stock pickers. You would you consider yourself a stock picker. Do, do you agree with that? Or do you think that's, uh, that there's still room for, for the stock picker with AI in, in, in the market?
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. I, I think that we, we also have to step, take one step further back, and there's kind of an interesting idea that algorithmic trading and quantitative-based strategies are, are really almost a variation on large language models. So... That's one way that AI is going to impact the investing universe, is that this is already being deployed by very large firms around the world to try to predict the next move in a stock price, either over seconds, minutes, months, or years. Um, And it's very similar. It's It's like meteorological modeling. They're trying to predict where this thing, the stock price, is going to go based on thousands of factors um but, but that's really not too dissimilar from the idea of of a, a recurrent neural network that you're looking for a signal and then forecasting what that signal portends um, that's going to become much more pervasive the fundamental problem with that is that that's completely antithetical to how we look at the world we don't think that businesses stocks should trade based on their trading history and those inputs um, we think that that the financial fundamentals should drive the value of the underlying stock price. We just know this. We, have, we as market participants, fundamental investors like Spyglass and technically-oriented algorithmic traders on the other side are at odds about this, and we both trade the same securities. At least they certainly, the other side certainly trades public U.S. equities along with everything else on the planet, as far as I can tell. Um, but when, they, when they're trading, they are not doing the math that we're doing. Um, and, and they're, they're running a different calculation. So I, I think that, you know, and maybe this is part of the volatility we've seen over the last few years. I don't know if we'll ever have an answer to that, but the we know this is being tried by many large firms to, to predict movements and, and some predictions become, uh, a reality for lots of reasons. Once you get money flowing in a certain direction, it can be self-fulfilling, um, I think it's it's a it's an unanswerable question, but I think that at the end of the day, the if you step back and look at the system, finance is finance. If if the if the algorithmic traders models drive share prices to valuations that don't make sense to a rational participant in the economy. So that could be a strategic investor, it could be a competitor, it could be Um, a private equity firm, they'll just step in and buy that security at a really attractive price relative to its value, which is why markets generally historically over the last hundred years since have continued to function even when there's disruptions in the market from a stock price perspective. Um, So I think that will always be true, but I I do think there'll be more volatility as people experiment with ways to trade securities versus invest in companies. And then I think, as you and I were discussing earlier, there is an element of, will these models be able to predict economic performance of businesses better than humans? That's a much more interesting topic. Um, and, And I think that's where large cap versus small cap might be interesting. So the training data that's available on small companies is much more diffuse, how they perform and what the inputs are to their performance are much more diffuse than larger businesses that have more employees and more things that they share in common and there is a smaller and smaller data set um, that that shows what was what created those successes in the past um so the the, the modeling will lend itself to larger businesses and it's, there may be something there not a computer scientist as much as i, I wish i were some days um so I, I think that's interesting to think about but i i don't think it's easy to forecast one way or the other that it will be helpful or unhelpful to either camp from a money-making perspective. I think that if you boil down capital allocation to its core, which is that you buy assets that when cooler heads prevail and somebody does the math on what the asset is worth to a financial participant who's gonna try to collect cash flows, that math is is still durable. Um, And so we're gonna spend all of our time using whatever technological tools we can to help us more accurately forecast those cash flows. And then think about how technologies like AI could impact the generation of those cash flows, either on a revenue side or an expense side, or both. Um, and, and, and that's why you know, this is this is the, the greatest time to, to be an investor um, and just to be alive. If you ask me, I think we're going through um, a portal into a really interesting future state as a as a as a, you know the human race um, and. I can't wait to see where we go. I know some people are nervous. I think, you know, be excited. Uh, there's there's a lot of great stuff coming.
0: Let's talk investment process and, and where the impact within that might be from AI. We touched on this just now, but AI is not really a novel concept in finance in many ways. It's been something that's been been widely employed in in, in quantitative finance obviously uh, with machine learning you think of the 1980s you think of firms like renaissance technologies for example um, but it feels like it's never really taken hold within the fundamental investing community which i know you are part of there there are many reasons for that an obvious one being they would argue that that is their their inherent edge is the fact that they don't engage in, in that type of investing but but do you think on the process side we do see the, the kind of fundamental longer term investing community start to to lean lean into AI more and use it more in their day-to-day and their general investment processes?
1: Yeah, I think I think you'd be foolish not to try to leverage this vast resource in every way possible. And so fundamental investors, the the the, the most valuable thing we have is information about what's going to happen. And 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 so we collect that information. We synthesize that information. That is a task that lends itself really well to AI. So, you know, we are trying to predict where stock prices are going. That's what, all we do. Um, and so, I believe that this will, you know, there will be applications in, you know, the relatively near term that will continue to improve on this process. You you have to get the you have to get the algorithm tuned right to to give you the output that is is that will ultimately make you money. Um, But I think there are shades of gray at this, where um, the ability to discover information much more efficiently with the help of AI, we're already using continuously at at Spyglass. We 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 use all of the various publicly available AI products that um, when we're doing research, we ask the systems questions. You know, there's a whole we haven't talked about. Um, generative hallucinations yet which is a whole other topic so you have to you do have to fact check the output but it's a very efficient way to get up to speed on a topic and you know it, and if you, if you haven't done it it's fascinating a- ask a, a a thoughtful question to Google as an alternative not Google bard but google.com uh, the search engine and then ask it to um, ask it to um, chat GPT for instance as a generative model and so if you if you say Describe for us in the U.S. there's um, if you look at like news organizations, there's a liberal organization like the New York Times generally thought to be liberal. And then there's like Fox News, which is thought to be conservative. But if you if you ask Google that question, say, what are the differences between. The New York Times and Fox News, it can't tell you there's no it doesn't have any ability to tell you, but. If you ask that to chat gpt it'll actually give you a really good answer you can have to do it later it's really interesting um and so if you're trying to understand the differences between technologies between go-to-market strategies but you know whatever it might be the the these ai algorithms can be very helpful at describing complex systems uh to you in a way that is intuitive and accurate um and it, it, it speeds It speeds the overall acquisition of knowledge, and yeah, I I just can't believe I I talk to my young colleagues uh, in the industry about this all the time. The internet made fundamental investing just an order of magnitude different. You could you could access and digest so much more information than it was possible to do in uh, you know in the the mid to late '90s when I first was doing this. Incomparable. every five years from 1996 through 2021 and now 23 um every five years it was just fundamentally different and now we are hockey sticking uh with a growth rate of of the 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 ways in which the aggregation of information is accelerating and um it, it makes it very interesting. It makes it very tiring. Uh, I, spend, I spend much more time reading. It's ironic. That it's more efficient, but but you have access to more information. So I, I don't spend any less time looking through data. I just am consuming significantly more information per time of units per per unit spent. Um, and, and and that is, yeah. You know, hopefully, we're getting at least a better outcomes, which is the, which is the goal.
0: And following on from that, do you think, and you partially answered this, but do you think AI is going to provide fundamental investors with edge or is this going to be more used as a way to scale human capital at zero cost? So you have a a situation where effectively in the future, long only shops can hire a new analyst at zero cost because the models become so comprehensive.
1: Yeah, I, I think this is, you know, this goes to a, we didn't get the chance to talk about it, but the, this idea that you're going to substitute capital for labor is 100% something to really focus on from the overall AI architecture with the impact it's going to have on society. It's going to definitely happen in our industry for sure. You you can, you know, a, a young analyst who is charged with consuming, reading 10 Ks and reading 10 Qs and listening to conference calls and Uh, Listening to expert calls and then just typing up output from those and synthesizing those calls um, and events, and then providing a comprehensive framework for what was covered and what the potential implications are, that can already be done. Um, And so that's that's that is real fundamental implications for the industry where you can you can aggregate that information now in, in seconds, which which a human just can't listen to the. You literally just can't consume the information that fast. A 10K takes hours to get through if you do it properly. A Q, you know, less than that, but a significant amount of time. And then those are the regulatory documents in the U.S. And then, um, yeah, a conference call is roughly 45 minutes to an hour. Those are, and maybe you can listen to it at accelerated by 20 or 30 percent and still catch most of it, but only 20 or 30 percent. An AI algorithm can read that entire transcript in a, a fraction of a second, and it can synthesize. You know, if you give it a good prompt, what are you looking for? What do you want to know about? Um, you can get comprehensive feedback. In, 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 it's not an acceleration of ten or twenty percent. It is. It's. It's hard to describe how much more information is being processed, and 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 that's why humans are just being obsoleted in in some of these tasks and what the implications are for the industry is is hard to know. But as we think about it at Spyglass, we want to deploy technology jobs that can do it more repeatedly with less training by us, that we have to teach somebody how to extract this information that can just be extracted by a a high quality system and give us really reliable output. Um, That's that's significantly better than than having someone do that job. Um, and, and this goes to a much bigger topic about, as entry-level jobs across all industries are automated, uh, as, a, as AI takes that role, um, what does it
0: mean for the next generation of workers? And I think that's, a, that's, that's the next podcast you go. Absolutely. So, so looking further down the line then, with, with all that you've said there, And again, to to bake in a few assumptions, we we have to assume probably that most firms will broadly have access to the same sort of AI tools. They will be employed in broadly similar ways. Does that mean that the, the real arms race in investing comes down to the quality of data? So finding data that other people simply don't have access to? Um, or does it come from the the quality of the kind of prompts, the inputs, how you make your models, how you tinker on the edges with the models you're using to help you process the information?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's just a, I think it's amplify, it's going to amplify the differences between the firms that are able to forecast and understand the data better than those that can't, um, or, or or less able, um, I, I think it's likely. The question is, will will it, will it close the gap uh, and democratize the differences? I I don't think I know prospectively. I I'm gonna take the the humble out on that and know that it's hard to forecast. I I, I think what is interesting about fundamental investing is that it is an exercise in forecasting that is. A very complex multivariate problem. And you what what good fundamental investors do well is they understand how the symphony of all of those moving parts ends up sounding different than what the consensus predicts. And and good or bad. It sounds either better than they think or worse than they think. And if you can, if you can the ability to do that consistently is what may, allows fundamental investors to stand apart uh, over long periods of time. Um, will AI improve the ability of a firm that to date or a group of individuals that to date has been unable to put that together? I, I just don't know. Um there will, I'm sure there will be companies that will stand up in the, over the next few years that will try, and they will certainly try to sell that to people. Um, but so much of investing is, is still innately human. It will, the, the desire to override the system when it tells you to buy something or sell something that you in your mind don't believe is the right thing to do, you're going to have to see an awful lot of data over a long period of time to, to if you're like we are. To, to, to turn that over to, to a machine. And, and, and the, the smartest thing literally might be to immediately adjust and adapt to using the, the model. Um, the, the, I, can, I can see that actually you know, being one of the theoretical outcomes. But when, you're, when your client's capital relies on that, you're going to have to be um, very judicious and, and think carefully about each of those incremental augmentations to your strategy.
0: Jim, we've covered a, a huge amount there. So so fascinating. So many rabbit holes we could go down. But to wrap it up, I'll give you a couple of minutes. If you if you maybe like to to sum up your your views broadly on AI, where you think you're going, whether you think that's we're going to 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 a better place for everyone, um, and just your general thoughts. Sure. Uh, thanks for
1: first off, for doing this. I, I hope it was informational and useful to the to those that have listened. Um, I, I really just can't overstate um, how important this time is, not today, but th- this general time with, with what's happening in AI. Um, this is certainly the biggest technological transformation in me, I, I, I would argue in history, um, but, but certainly since the internet or the, or the advent of the, of the personal computer um the microchip i guess would be a better description of that but i think this is bigger because it it has far-reaching consequences and and you don't need you won't need to use it to be impacted by it um and that's that's one reason why it's so enormous the world will be forever different as a result of this technology and i would spend as much time as you can reasonably allow um becoming aware of it and thinking hard about it um and understanding that it we have we Cross the Rubicon on this, and it, it, we are not going back. And it's very exciting. I, I'm going to spend a huge amount of time over the next decade becoming smarter. I hope um, uh, on the topic and learning more. But um, it, it is it is one of those moments in history when I, I feel like you you need to per, you know, sort of pick up your ears and, and listen carefully to uh, to what's happening around us, and, and at the same time be deeply optimistic. We could we we are going to solve what were previously thought to be intractable problems um, that, you know, whether that's climate change or energy, um, energy broadly speaking, um, hopefully, you know, hunger, poverty, all it's, I may sound like, um, yeah, I may sound overly optimistic, but all of the problems we've ever solved have been solved by smart people. That's how problems get solved. And this technology is going to build the smartest system that humanity's ever known. And so I'm not I'm not trying to promise things that are unlikely. I think that it's it's deeply logical to believe that when you when you point the most capable system that will continue to become increasingly capable, there won't be a problem we won't be able to solve, other than those probably, you know, that are grounded in laws of physics but um, I, I, I think that is why you can be so optimistic. It's an idea that we could live fantastic lives long maybe you know unbelievably long lives that, with very high quality of life um, as we understand everything about the world better is is where you should spend your time and, and, and focus on focus on the fact that well it's easy to see how things turn out badly and that's where humans tend to go um you've heard me probably say it before but the future belongs to the optimists and there's never been a time that i can remember where it's been more rational to be optimistic about the future
0: i feel that's the the, the perfect note for us to to end today's podcast on and just before we let you go jim something we like to like, to ask all our guests is for a couple of key recommendations for things resources they can listen to or read or watch on the topic we discussed today, obviously that being AI. Now this is an enormous topic, but if you could if I could limit you to, to two suggestions, and I will Ooh. note that we we will add we will add a, a host of other resources in the show notes today for people who do wanna who do want to dive deeper into the topic, but just two for now would be ideal. Right. I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bet you know because I always overreach. I'm gonna bend it to three. I, I, I have a longer list, <laughs> but I'll give you three things that, that, that pop into my mind. Um the, the the first thing is, it, the first two are actually relatively simple. So let's start with those two. And then for those that want to go deep, I'll give you a third. But the first one is a really important and fun to read blog. Uh, there's a blog called um, dot com. So wait, W-A-I-T, uh, but, B-U-T, Y, W-H-I, or ah dot com. Uh, it's by Tim Urban, fascinating writer, blogger, um, who wrote what was really an important document and, and really piqued my interest in the in the topic of AI all the way back in 2015. It's still relevant today. Um, he wrote a primer. Um, and it, it's worth, look, if you go to his website, you can find it. It's called the AI revolution. The subtitle is the road to superintelligence. Um, it's a it's a blog. You can just read it. You can also download it as a PDF. You have to pay him a few dollars for the PDF if you want to print it. Um, I recommend doing that. I've actually emailed with Tim. He's a fascinating guy. Support him if you can. Um, but it's a it, the primer is amazing. There's actually two parts. The first one, I think, is 20 pages or something. It's not very long. And the second one, I think, is 50 or 60 or 70 pages, part two, much deeper. If you read the first one, you'll know a lot. If you read both, you'll know more. Um, but I would recommend that. The second thing that I think is worth spending 20 minutes on in the next week, again, just how long we've been focused on this, but the, but there's seminal in my my interest in the space. There was, a, there was a TED Talk by a philosopher named Sam Harris called, Can We Build AI Without Losing Control Over It? Um, and it's a very important TED Talk to listen to. It's 20 minutes. Um, I, you won't leave it feeling a lot better, I don't think necessarily, uh, and that's sort of the point. But it will it will raise some really interesting questions. Um, he's at the very center of a highly academic conversation about the path of AI, um, and so if you if you want to understand you know where some of these kernels started from and then follow them out to today, I, I think start back then with both of those the blog and the and the and the TED Talk, and then for those that really want to go deep, and uh, if you're going on vacation, maybe in August, um, and, and it may not be the most popular book on the beach, but there's a great book um, by uh, an Englishman, Nick Bostrom, who sort um, of a, called superintelligence, um, and the subtitle is Paths, Dangers, and Strategies. That um, that book was one of those that uh, you kind of blows your hair back when you when you realize where we are where we're going uh, all the potential outcomes but it, it's worth doing and then if you ever see anything by nick um online or, or he, he has articles and podcasts and uh he's spoken at lots of big time events but i he's somebody to focus on but i'll, I'll stop there but those are the those are the ones that i think will, will help people get a really interesting foundation in in, in some of these really key topics
0: jim Huge thanks again. We will make a note of all those and add those into the uh, show notes. Uh, If you scroll down on the description of the show, you should see those. uh, And we hope to hear or for you to listen to us soon. Thank you for listening to this latest podcast from Aravis Presents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please like and subscribe as it helps others to find us. Aravis Capital Limited is a fund distribution and marketing firm based in London. For more information, please visit us at arabiscapital.com. This recording has been prepared by Aravis Capital Limited, hereafter referred to as Aravis, for entertainment and information purposes only, and is intended solely for professional investors only and not retail clients. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast do not constitute investment advice and offer to buy or sell any securities or an endorsement to make or consider any investment or course of action. You should consult a professional before making any investment decisions. Past performance is not a reliable guide to future performance. Investments can go down as well as up. The information provided is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published. Aravis does not accept any any liability for any loss arising from the use of the information, any expressions of opinions reflect the views of the speakers and not necessarily those of Aravis, and are subject to change without notice. This recording is the property of Aravis and is not to be reproduced in whole or in part without prior written consent.